0: If you went to New York during the holidays, chances are you went to the holiday shops pop-up market at Bryant Park, or maybe you grabbed a bow bun at the food hall, Urban Space Vanderbilt. My guest today was responsible for both of those and so, so much more. On this episode, we've got Eldon Scott, president of Urban Space New York. Live from New York, it's where we buy. That's right, Eldon, you're listening to Where We Buy. It's the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. We are recording live at the Javits Center during the ICSC New York Dealmaking Conference. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL. Where We Buy is a show where we talk with retail experts and we visit shopping spots across the nation. Today, Eldon Scott, Urban Space, welcome, sir. Thank you. It's great to see you. I'm happy. It's good to see you as well. Um, I'm happy to be in your lovely city once again. Uh, I know when I come to New York, I'm going to eat way too much food, um, partially
1: and thanks to you. And hopefully buy some things at the holiday markets, too.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, of course. And I have not been yet, uh, but... One of my coworkers um, went yesterday and was just blown away. And they were like, is this here thing, is this here year round? Because this is great. It should be here all the time. But I guess it loses. We, we its... would love it, but it wouldn't. I don't think people would like it year round. Let's give big picture for those listening who don't know urban space,
1: um, kind of big picture what you guys do, what you've created. Well, we started out as a, a markets company in London in 1973. I don't know if you know that part of the story. So, the the first big project we did was Camden Lock, 1973, and the way that got going was there were blue laws in London, and you couldn't sell retail. Retail could not open on Sundays, um, but there was a loophole that markets could. So, I'm giving you the deep dive on this, but um, so, Eric Reynolds, who's the founder of the company, said, well, why don't we start a market which was allowed under the, under the laws? So, it was the first privately run market uh, post-war, because there were council run markets where you could buy fruits and veg, but this was became a different thing and it became a place where young people would go and bring albums and they'd travel to Bali and they bring back stuff and it just it's an incredible place if you've never been there. Became the fourth largest visitor destination in London. And that was kind of the DNA of the company. And I ended up in London after university and grad school. Worked with Eric Randall. I worked for a. Uh, I'm an urban planner by background. I worked for Savills, which is a property and planning company. I worked for the City of New York. So I ended up in in London with uh, it, with 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 Eric, and we started working on these markets, which to me were amazing because I would go visit them, and I felt like this is the original souk or the original agora or these places that you know for centuries humans have have gone to marketplaces, and I just thought it was really interesting. Um, but esoteric at the time, no one really was tracking in the real estate industry what we were doing. Um, so then, fast forward, 2008. Uh, I came back to New York around 2000, started running marketplaces. Still not considered an institutional, you know, uh, recognized type of tenancy. Um, then, you know, 2008, the world really changed, and you know, as they said luxury, you know, local is the new luxury and food was the new fashion and people, young people and uh, consumers of all kinds became more interested in authenticity and what's local and experiential you know, we were never um, going to be competing on a pure price point in terms of the holiday markets or even necessarily in terms of the food halls um, there's you know, more efficient ways to get those products but it was really about experience and what was cool about, or what is cool about marketplaces when run well is that they have this sort of built-in sense of community and authenticity? I can tell you later about how we how we get to all that, but that's that's the the big the high the high level how we got here. And so,
0: how many how many locations, uh, cities? And you guys are in multiple cities.
1: Talk a little bit about that. So, well, we have all the London projects, and that's uh, still run out of London. Um, we also have Container City, and we've our headquarters is based in a container project across the Millennium Dome. Um, In New York, um, we have about 12 projects um, that range from these large um, uh, markets like Bryant Park, which are seasonal, to permanent food halls and permanent installations. Like, for example, in Times Square, um, we're mostly in CBD uh, locations. And then about four years ago now, I'd say, we uh, decided to do a national rollout. So we brought on uh, a, a team of professionals from different different companies, and we're going to be building uh, a, a whole bunch of these. We're in right now in Chicago, LA, San Fran, Boston, and DC. That's pipeline. As you're thinking about this, it's like you've been doing this thing
0: since, you know, your company's been doing this thing since the 70s, and then not too long ago, it suddenly became the cool thing, right? Food halls have kind of blown up now. Are you... Are you, feel, are you feeling like you're riding a wave
1: that's going to crest and it's going to decrease in popularity, or is it just... I, I, we get asked this question, and I, th- I think the answer is that it's a trend that's here to stay. Um, so it's not a five-year trend. You know, Is it a 20-year trend? Maybe. Um, but it's not a short-term trend. Having said that, I think like any new thing, a lot of people come out of the box with the wrong thing. So I don't think all of these food halls are gonna be successful. And in fact, I think many of them are not profitable. We're very conservative about our underwriting and very careful to try to make sure that they are profitable for our vendors because as we build our brand, our brand really is on the backs of the chefs and entrepreneurs that work with us. And if we can't deliver them a profitable location, we won't do the project. So we say no much more than we say yes because we evaluate if these guys are going to make money. What what do you have to do
0: to make money with a food hall? It's got to be it's the right location,
1: right? But what else? There you know there's a lot there's a lot to it. Um there's a lot of infrastructure involved. It's a lot of capital. I think one mistake people seem to think is that oh, it's somehow lower capital or lower design than other kinds of uses. No, actually it's more because you're building 20 kitchens. And if you don't build 20 kitchens and you try to make it all like to go or catered, you don't get the energy. You just, we've seen it. We've we've tested it. You just, you don't get the sales. So you need to put the infrastructure in. You need to build the facilities that the chefs need to produce the product that they need. So that costs money. So there's, there's that obviously location. At the end of the day, you know, everything is driven on sales. So how do you create the right community and the right brand and the right location with the right facilities to make all that work? And it's not, it's not easy. But when you do it right, it, it does work. Yeah, I've been to multiple food halls that have a
0: shared kitchen in the back where mm-hmm. all of the different vendors use mm-hmm. a shared kitchen. Clearly,
1: that's cheaper. But you're saying you lose energy when you do that? It's the, it's the we call it the theater of food. Uh, One of the reasons why people are interested in these food halls is that interaction with the person across the counter and they want to see something being prepared or something being cooked. We don't, not all of the food is prepared from uh, step one in the food hall. There's a lot of pre-production going on and and sites off site, but the final cooking always occurs on site. So there's always a level of prep on site. Gotcha. So let's
0: talk. Let's talk curation. What goes into the, let's say we're building a food hall from scratch. Mm-hmm. What goes into the selection of the vendors? How do you think about that? How do you come up with them? How do you find them?
1: It is really relationship. And I think that's kind of what this niche is. We think it's about establishing strong relationships with entrepreneurs. That's where the energy comes from. Yes, you have to get the other parts right. You have to you know, they have to have a following on social media. They have to be, you know, you want them to be cool and hip. You want them to, you want to look at their P and L you want to see what they think they're going to do. That all goes without saying, but we've built the company based on relationships and it takes more effort to do that because you just need more hours in the day to spend with these vendors. But we've found that when we don't do that, we have a higher failure rate. So, we see ourselves as partners more than landlords with the chefs that are in the markets.
0: Let's say there's a chef. When a chef opens up in a stall in your food hall, is that the first time they've ever operated a restaurant or do you need somebody with a, pra- with a proven track record? Proven track record.
1: I mean, we rarely we rarely bring someone in who's never had a restaurant. We do have a program called the Urban Space Challenge where we'll find someone who's never had a restaurant and... We have we have a, we have a, a sponsorship and we'll, we'll we'll set them up in business, but that's a program that we run. For the most part, you, you know, it's having produced food for a weekend market is nothing like running, uh, you know, a twenty four seven restaurant business. So we want to make sure they have some experience, but not you know we, we're not looking you know generally more than five or six units. we, we don't want to do it either because we want them to be. Entrepreneurs in their community or their city.
0: So I know at Bryant Park, for example, you've got it's you got a pop up food hall, right? In there, yeah, uh, we do. How does that work? Um, how do you kind of build that temporary
1: food hall infrastructure? But it's still got to last a couple of months, right? It's a great location. Um, we we put a uh, we, with our partners at Bryant Park, we put a, a very big tent structure up there, uh, custom t- tent. You know, there's a a lot of um, DOH uh, requirements and SLA requirements. So we actually had to put full sinks in, hot water. Um, it's getting more and more difficult just to, to pop up and throw sell food on the street side, you know, as it should. I think that the agencies are really trying to keep up with making sure the food's safe, which also just means generally more expense and more care for, for that side of the business. And
0: you'd mentioned earlier, you know, you've got to create a sense of community amongst the the vendors uh, in in your food markets, what do you have to do
1: to be successful at that? Well, I think that's kind of the uh, the art, if you will, of, <laughs> of of what of what happens. That's the soft skills. Um, <laughs> it is, you know. I think it, to me, it ties back to my background in urban planning. You, you know, we're not we we obviously are dollars and cents oriented, um, but the first thing is relationships both between us and the chefs and entrepreneurs and between the chefs and entrepreneurs and the customers. And if you, the analogy I like to give is it's like throwing a dinner party. So if you throw a great dinner party and you, you set the table, you have 12 people, you seat everyone around that table and the energy, the, the sum is greater than the parts. So you've, if you invite 12 interesting folks, you're going to have this great hum and that that's community. You're creating community in your house for that dinner party, if the table's the wrong size, or the lighting is wrong, or the music's too loud, or the candle stinks, it, it's not going to work. You're going to lose the buzz. So there's a lot of subtle elements to maintaining that sense of community. So what we really do is we kind of we set the table. We find spots in the city and we put the right pieces together so that people will interact. And that's what we've really found in this sort of digital age is that a lot of your goods and services you can you can get. Uh, digitally clearly you can get delivered but people are still seeking out human connection even if they're parallel playing and a lot of it we call it parallel play you know they're in a busy place they may not be actually talking to someone but they're enjoying being in a place that's got a, a buzz going and they're having their coffee or their poke bowl
0: what are the what are the must have ingredients so they're and i'm talking the food types that you have to have? Do you have to have burgers, you have to have coffee, or the or is it I mean, just all up in the air?
1: There's nothing you have to have. I mean, we have enough units now that we, we see what the top sellers are. We don't necessarily advertise that, um, so we're obviously looking at that. I will say that I do think the future is towards more plant-based, but it's like anything, it's like trying to guess the markets. When, you don't know, but it's coming. We try to do more plant-based. Um, the sales are not the same as fried chicken sandwiches. I can tell you right now. Um, so we we want to you know we're, we are pushing we are pushing as much health as we can, but we keep we keep the uh, the pizzas and the burgers coming as well. So you see all the data. How long? When was it that fried chicken
0: sandwiches blew the heck up? just seemed like overnight hot, hot chicken sandwiches
1: were the thing. Uh you know it's been, ever since we've been doing it they've been the thing. So it's hard to say when that started but I don't quite know why but it, they keep on selling. Yeah, it's just well they're delicious. They I are mean, good. No, they are good. No
0: argument there <laughs> but uh at at any urban space location all the food is delicious, no doubt about that. So I kind of alluded to this idea, you know, you've got to find the right Place to put a food hall and that's like step one but let's dig into that like what's the right location to put
1: one you know you you, you just need a lot of people that's so it density you need a lot of people okay that, that's are you rather you have to be in a destination where you're they're going to come to you because it's they're getting their cars and you've got the parking or they're going to be on foot but you know you need it's, it's retail 101 and I think I do think that's a mistake that a lot of people are making is just assuming that this defies the laws of gravity. In our case, it's the laws of retail. It's still retail. You know, you need bodies. And I. <clears throat> a lot of the inquiries we get are from, not surprisingly, landlords who are trying to use a food hall to kind of plug a problem. And that doesn't work either. We need probably greater density than some other uses. I wouldn't say we're a low-density use. So you can't, uh, you can't
0: build a food hall and expect that it's going to drive traffic you really have to have the
1: traffic at least somewhat already there in our model we don't do that yeah yeah um, are there people who are trying that yes is it working i don't know if their data i don't know but i it's a it's a riskier venture is there a kind of food that
0: you can't do in that setting is there kind of food we can't do we haven't found it yet <laughs> <laughs> but if you have one that I'll try it and we'll see if it works I'm trying to I'm <laughs> trying to think it because it all has to be fast casualized I guess you know it can't
1: be it does I mean I think it's really interesting to mix some full service you know adjacent to I think I don't I think they're complementary um, and it adds to the overall buzz of the space so I think that's fine that's fine to do that's a good point so
0: there are I'm trying to think about your food halls do you have sit down? food we in are,
1: them? We are adjacent to some full okay. service, um, and we would like to see more of that.
0: Yeah, we were just at um, Mercado Little Spain, and they have... They do yeah. What's that? They've they do got, a good job of that. Yeah, yeah, they've got both sit down and kind of stand up eating, and uh, I just saw in the New York Times that Mercado Little Little Spain was on their list of uh, top new restaurants of the ni- of the year for New York, even though it's a, a food hall. I thought that was um, fantastic, just the amount of recognition. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, wow. you know they, they've done a great job. I think you, I think what people have to be careful of is the labor model. I mean, labor has become a bigger and bigger issue for restaurant tourism for retailers. And in some of those models, um, where you have a single operator and you might have a hundred employees, you have to be really careful about how you manage your labor. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you
0: offer as far as services to the the tenants the operators within your your food hall are you they provide the cook and you do
1: everything else how does that division work they're leasing space from us and they're running a a kitchen operation so they cook the food they they sell the food they have cashiers they have their own point of sale systems that are individual to them well we we provide a centralized pos system but they have their own cashiers we control everything it's like a mall we it's not like a mall. The business structure <laughs> take that is like back. a mall, but it's the brand is not like a mall. But the common area we, we control. So we have you know porters and we, we, we control the, the, the back of house and the rest of the facility.
0: Now, you're looking to take all of these learnings um, from uh, London and, and from here in New York and further expand. You've got a number of cities in the pipeline. Um, as you expand, is there a challenge around scaling yourselves and huge huge challenge is there a lot of i mean are there a lot of people out there who know how to operate a food hall where do you find these people
1: (laughs) that's not the hard part i think the hard part like growing any company and i think it's just has particular challenges with this type of company is if you've done one well that's great but if you're doing 10 at a time you have a a large scale issue and i don't it's it's you have to really think through what is your brand what are your values how do you train and communicate to other people what those values are because you can't be everywhere at once so i think and there's also a natural tension between food halls and marketplaces that are made up of individual entrepreneurs and this concept of scaling and i actually would go to further and say it's an interesting, I mean, I think it's a fascinating challenge. One of the reasons why I think the marketplaces are even popular now is that we've, we've built such an efficient retail machine, you know, since World War II, but it's so efficient that in some cases it's lost its human element. And I think what's so interesting about markets is they are all about the human element. So then the question is, how do you take that human element on scale and not just become a big national retailer? So to me, it's a really interesting question and one that we're we're determined to solve.
0: As you're rolling out into these different cities, you've got to create this um, connection with the food community in each city. And and you know, you're so plugged in in New York, you know all the potential you know tenants you know of your your food halls. How do you dive in deep in these different cities?
1: Are you sending How does that work? You know, it's it's a lot of work also. So I think that the again the labor model behind doing this well is high. What we've what we've seen is that if you don't in a new city um, bring in high enough level people to build a team, um, it's not going to work. So it's not it's not an easy thing just to drop into a new city. You have to really um, have people that already are connected and know about the local food scene and give confidence to chefs and entrepreneurs that you know what you're doing and you know that's not that's not a junior team
0: yeah i think you know one of the things that i've come to rely on with people like you is that if i want to get unique food in a city and kind of get introduced to the overall food scene quickly i can drop into a, a food market and just get so much exposure right off the bat for our listeners out there who might be, say, coming to New York around the holiday season or in the near future, what's your what's your recommendation? Where do they need to come and visit? What's your your All best of our food halls? No, which which one is the kind of you know? Let's see, you can only go to one. Which which one should they go to?
1: Uh, you know, it's the, like choosing a baby, uh, one of your kids. It's so funny because we we really love our projects for for different reasons, and there's two that off, off the top of my head. One is you know Vanderbilt. Urban Space Vanderbilt which um, it's just it's in the old Helmsley Palace building and it's uh, it's just a great it's a great space near Grand Central I also really like going it's just the holidays so you gotta hurry up uh, to the market we do at Columbus Circle because it's on the edge of of, uh, Central Park and it's just a wonderful thing to walk up through the park with the trees and see this little village market up on the hill so that's that's a fun one too
0: oh that sounds wonderful I need to get out there and check that out Eldon, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. Um, What's the, is it urbanspace.com if folks want to learn more? Urbanspacenyc.com. Got it. Urbanspacenyc.com. And for our listeners out there, if you've got a comment on today's show, you can call our listener comment line. It's the Where We Buy Hotline, and we'll use your voice in an upcoming show. Give us a call at 602-633-4061. Be sure to tell us your name and where you're calling from. You can hear more interviews, retail tours, and new research insights by subscribing to Where We Buy on the iPhone podcast app or on Spotify, or you can go to wherewebuy.show. And a special thank you to ICSC that made this live podcast possible. We're a wrap. That's my last podcast for the day.